Part two, chapter six of the idiot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. The idiot by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Eva M. Martin. Part two, chapter six. Lebedeff's country house was not large but it was pretty and convenient, especially the part which was let to the prince. A row of orange and lemon trees and jasmines, planted in green tubs, stood on the fairly wide terrace. According to Lebedeff, these trees gave the house a most delightful aspect. Some were there when he bought it, and he was so charmed with the effect that he promptly added to their number. When the tubs containing these plants arrived at the villa, and were set in their places, Lebedeff kept running into the street to enjoy the view of the house, and every time he did so, the rent to be demanded from the future tenant went up with a bound. This country villa pleased the prince very much in his state of physical and mental exhaustion. On the day that they had left for Pavlovsk, that is, the day after his attack, he appeared almost well, though in reality he felt very far from it. The faces of those around him for the last three days had made a pleasant impression. He was pleased to see not only Kolya, who had become his inseparable companion, but Lebedeff himself and all the family except the nephew who had left the house he was also glad to receive a visit from general ivolgin before leaving st petersburg it was getting late when the party arrived at pavlovsk but several people called to see the prince and assembled in the veranda gania was the first to arrive he had grown so pale and thin that the prince could hardly recognize him. Then came Varya and Ptitsin, who were rusticating in the neighborhood. As to General Ivolgin, he scarcely budged from Lebedeff's house, and seemed to have moved to Pavlovsk with him. Lebedeff did his best to keep Ardalion Alexandrovitch by him, and to prevent him from invading the prince's quarters. He chatted with him confidentially, so that they might have been taken for old friends. During those three days the prince had noticed that they frequently held long conversations. He often heard their voices raised in argument on deep and learned subjects, which evidently pleased Lebedeff. He seemed as if he could not do without the general. But it was not only Ardalion Alexandrovitch whom Lebedeff kept out of the prince's way. Since they had come to the villa, he treated his own family the same. Upon the pretext that his tenant needed quiet, he kept him almost in isolation, and Muishkin protested in vain against this excess of zeal. Lebedeff stamped his feet at his daughters, and drove them away if they attempted to join the prince on the terrace. Not even Vera was accepted. 
they will lose all respect if they are allowed to be so free and easy besides it is not proper for them he declared at last in answer to a direct question from the prince why on earth not asked the latter really you know you are making yourself a nuisance by keeping guard over me like this i get bored all by myself i have told you so over and over again and you get on my nerves more than ever by waving your hands and creeping in and out in the mysterious way you do it was a fact that lebedeff though he was so anxious to keep everyone else from disturbing the patient was continually in and out of the prince's room himself he invariably began by opening the door a crack and peering in to see if the prince was there or if he had escaped then he would creep softly up to the armchair sometimes making muishkin jump by his sudden appearance he always asked if the patient wanted anything and when the latter replied that he only wanted to be left in peace he would turn away obediently and make for the door on tiptoe with deprecatory gestures to imply that he had only just looked in that he would not speak a word and would go away and not intrude again which did not prevent him from reappearing in ten minutes or a quarter of an hour Collier had free access to the prince, at which Lebedeff was quite disgusted and indignant. He would listen at the door for half an hour at a time while the two were talking. Collier found this out, and naturally told the prince of his discovery. "'Do you think yourself my master, that you try to keep me under lock and key like this?' said the prince to Lebedeff in the country at least i intend to be free and you may make up your mind that i mean to see whom i like and go where i please why of course replied the clerk gesticulating with his hands the prince looked him sternly up and down well lukian timofeyevich have you brought the little cupboard that you had at the head of your bed with you here no i left it where it was impossible it cannot be moved you would have to pull the wall down it is so firmly fixed perhaps you have one like it here i have one that is even better much better that is really why i bought this house ah what visitor did you turn away from my door about an hour ago the the general i would not let him in there is no need for him to visit you prince I have the deepest esteem for him. He is a, a great man. You don't believe it? Well, you will see, and yet, most excellent prince, you had much better not receive him. May I ask why? And also, why you walk about on tiptoe, and always seem as if you were going to whisper a secret in my ear whenever you come near me? I am vile vile i know it cried lebedeff beating his breast with a contrite air but will not the general be too hospitable for you too hospitable yes first he proposes to come and live in my house well and good but he sticks at nothing 
he immediately makes himself one of the family we have talked over our respective relations several times and discovered that we are connected by marriage it seems also that you are a sort of nephew on his mother's side he was explaining it to me again only yesterday if you're his nephew it follows that i must also be a relation of yours most excellent prince never mind about that it is only a foible but just now he assured me that all his life from the day he was made an ensign to the eleventh of last june he has entertained at least two hundred guests at his table every day finally he went so far as to say that they never rose from the table they dined supped and had tea for fifteen hours at a stretch this went on for thirty years without a break there was barely time to change the tablecloth directly one person left another took his place on feast days he entertained as many as three hundred guests and they numbered seven hundred on the thousandth anniversary of the foundation of the russian empire it amounts to a passion with him it makes one uneasy to hear of it it is terrible to have to entertain people who do things on such a scale that is why i wonder whether such a man is not too hospitable for you and me but you seem to be on the best of terms with him quite fraternal i look upon it as a joke let us be brothers-in-law it is all the same to me rather an honour than not but in spite of the two hundred guests and the thousandth anniversary of the russian empire i can see that he is a very remarkable man i am quite sincere you said just now that i always looked as if i was going to tell you a secret you are right i have a secret to tell you a certain person has just let me know that she is very anxious for a secret interview with you why should it be secret not at all i will call on her myself to-morrow no oh no cried lebedeff waving his arms if she is afraid it is not for the reason you think by the way do you know that the monster comes every day to inquire after your health you call him a monster so often that it makes me suspicious you must have no suspicions none whatever said lebedeff quickly i only want you to know that the person in question is not afraid of him but of something quite quite different what on earth is she afraid of then tell me plainly without any more beating about the bush said the prince exasperated by the other's mysterious grimaces ah that is the secret said lebedeff with a smile whose secret yours you forbade me yourself to mention it before you most excellent prince murmured lebedeff then satisfied that he had worked up muishkin's curiosity to the highest pitch he added abruptly she is afraid of aglaya ivanovna the prince frowned for a moment in silence and then said suddenly really lebedeff i must leave your house where are gavrila ardalionovitch and the ptitsins are they here have you chased them away too 
they are coming they are coming and the general as well i will open all the doors i will call all my daughters all of them this very minute said lebedeff in a low voice thoroughly frightened and waving his hands as he ran from door to door at that moment kolya appeared on the terrace he announced that lizaveta prokofievna and her three daughters were close behind him moved by this news lebedeff hurried up to the prince shall i call the ptitsins and gavrila ardalionovitch shall i let the general in he asked why not let in anyone who wants to see me i assure you lebedeff you have misunderstood my position from the very first you have been wrong all along i have not the slightest reason to hide myself from any one replied the prince gaily seeing him laugh lebedeff thought fit to laugh also and though much agitated his satisfaction was quite visible kolya was right the yepanchin ladies were only a few steps behind him as they approached the terrace other visitors appeared from lebedeff's side of the house the ptitsins gania and ardalion alexandrovitch the yepanchins had only just heard of the prince's illness and of his presence in pavlovsk from kolya and up to this time had been in a state of considerable bewilderment about him the general brought the prince's card down from town and mrs yepanchin had felt convinced that he himself would follow his card at once she was much excited in vain the girls assured her that a man who had not written for six months would not be in such a dreadful hurry and that probably he had enough to do in town without needing to bustle down to pavlovsk to see them their mother was quite angry at the very idea of such a thing and announced her absolute conviction that he would turn up the next day at latest so next day the prince was expected all the morning and at dinner tea and supper and when he did not appear in the evening mrs yepanchin quarrelled with everyone in the house finding plenty of pretexts without so much as mentioning the prince's name on the third day there was no talk of him at all until aglaya remarked at dinner mamma is cross because the prince hasn't turned up to which the general replied that it was not his fault mrs yepanchin misunderstood the observation and rising from her place she left the room in majestic wrath in the evening however kolya came with the story of the prince's adventures so far as he knew them mrs yepanchin was triumphant although kolya had to listen to a long lecture he idles about here the whole day long one can't get rid of him and then when he is wanted he does not come he might have sent a line if he did not wish to inconvenience himself at the words one can't get rid of him kolya was very angry and nearly flew into a rage but he resolved to be quiet for the time and show his resentment later 
if the words had been less offensive he might have forgiven them so pleased was he to see lizabieta prokovievna worried and anxious about the prince's illness she would have insisted on sending to petersburg at once for a certain great medical celebrity but her daughters dissuaded her though they were not willing to stay behind when she at once prepared to go and visit the invalid aglaya however suggested that it was a little unceremonious to go en masse to see him very well then stay at home said mrs epanchin and a good thing too for yevgeny pavlovitch is coming down and there will be no one at home to receive him of course after this aglaya went with the rest in fact she had never had the slightest intention of doing otherwise prince s who was in the house was requested to escort the ladies he had been much interested when he first heard of the prince from the epanchins it appeared that they had known one another before and had spent some time together in a little provincial town three months ago prince s had greatly taken to him and was delighted with the opportunity of meeting him again the general had not come down from town as yet nor had yevgeny pavlovitch arrived it was not more than two or three hundred yards from the epanchins house to lebedeff's the first disagreeable impression experienced by mrs epanchin was to find the prince surrounded by a whole assembly of other guests not to mention the fact that some of those present were particularly detestable in her eyes the next annoying circumstance was when an apparently strong and healthy young fellow well dressed and smiling came forward to meet her on the terrace instead of the half-dying unfortunate whom she had expected to see she was astonished and vexed and her disappointment pleased Kolya immensely. Of course he could have undeceived her before she started, but the mischievous boy had been careful not to do that, foreseeing the probably laughable disgust that she would experience when she found her dear friend the prince in good health. Kolya was indelicate enough to voice the delight he felt at his success in managing to annoy Lizaveta Prokofievna, with whom, in spite of their really amicable relations, he was constantly sparring. "'Just wait a while, my boy,' said she. "'Don't be too certain of your triumph.' And she sat down heavily in the armchair pushed forward by the prince. Lebedeff, Ptitsin, and General Ivolgin hastened to find chairs for the young ladies. Varya greeted them joyfully, and they exchanged confidences in ecstatic whispers. "'I must admit, Prince, I was a little put out to see you up and about like this. I expected to find you in bed. But I give you my word I was only annoyed for an instant before i collected my thoughts properly i am always wiser on second thoughts and i dare say you are the same i assure you i am as glad to see you well as though you were my own son yes and more 
and if you don't believe me the more shame to you and it's not my fault but that spiteful boy delights in playing all sorts of tricks you are his patron it seems well i warn you that one fine morning i shall deprive myself of the pleasure of his further acquaintance what have i done wrong now cried kolya what was the good of telling you that the prince was nearly well again you would not have believed me it was so much more interesting to picture him on his deathbed how long do you remain here prince asked madame yepanchin all the summer and perhaps longer you are alone aren't you not married no i'm not married replied the prince smiling at the ingenuousness of this little feeler oh you needn't laugh these things do happen you know now then why didn't you come to us we have a wing quite empty but just as you like of course do you lease it from him this fellow i mean she added nodding towards lebedeff and why does he always wriggle so at that moment vera carrying the baby in her arms as usual came out of the house onto the terrace lebedeff kept fidgeting among the chairs and did not seem to know what to do with himself though he had no intention of going away he no sooner caught sight of his daughter than he rushed in her direction waving his arms to keep her away he even forgot himself so far as to stamp his foot is he mad asked madame yepanchin suddenly no he perhaps he is drunk your company is rather peculiar she added with a glance at the other guests but what a pretty girl who is she that is lebedeff's daughter vera lukianovna indeed she looks very sweet i should like to make her acquaintance the words were hardly out of her mouth when lebedeff dragged vera forward in order to present her orphans poor orphans he began in a pathetic voice the child she carries is an orphan too she is vera's sister my daughter lyubov the day this babe was born six weeks ago my wife died by the will of god almighty yes vera takes her mother's place though she is but her sister nothing more nothing more and you you are nothing more than a fool if you'll excuse me well well you know that yourself i expect said the lady indignantly lebedeff bowed low it is the truth he replied with extreme respect oh mr lebedeff i am told you lecture on the apocalypse is it true asked aglaya yes that is so for the last fifteen years i have heard of you and i think read of you in the newspapers no that was another commentator whom the papers named he is dead however and i have taken his place said the other much delighted we are neighbours so will you be so kind as to come over one day and explain the apocalypse to me said aglaya i do not understand it in the least allow me to warn you 
interposed general ivolgin that he is the greatest charlatan on earth he had taken the chair next to the girl and was impatient to begin talking no doubt there are pleasures and amusements peculiar to the country he continued and to listen to a pretended student holding forth on the book of the revelations may be as good as any other it may even be original but you seem to be looking at me with some surprise may i introduce myself general ivolgin i carried you in my arms as a baby delighted i'm sure said aglaya i am acquainted with varvara ardalionovna and nina alexandrovna she was trying hard to restrain herself from laughing mrs epanchin flushed up some accumulation of spleen in her suddenly needed an outlet she could not bear this general ivolgin whom she had once known long ago in society you are deviating from the truth sir as usual she remarked boiling over with indignation you never carried her in your life you have forgotten mother said aglaya suddenly he really did carry me about in tver you know i was six years old i remember he made me a bow and arrow and i shot a pigeon don't you remember shooting a pigeon you and i one day yes and he made me a cardboard helmet and a little wooden sword i remember said adelaida yes i remember too said alexandra you quarrelled about the wounded pigeon and adelaida was put in the corner and stood there with her helmet and sword and all the poor general had merely made the remark about having carried aglaya in his arms because he always did so begin a conversation with young people but it happened that this time he had really hit upon the truth though he had himself entirely forgotten the fact but when adelaida and aglaya recalled the episode of the pigeon his mind became filled with memories and it is impossible to describe how this poor old man usually half drunk was moved by the recollection i remember i remember it all he cried i was captain then you were such a lovely little thing nina alexandrovna gania listen i was received then by general epanchin yes and look what you have come to now interrupted mrs epanchin however i see you have not quite drunk your better feelings away but you have broken your wife's heart sir and instead of looking after your children you have spent your time in public houses and debtors prisons go away my friend stand in some corner and weep and bemoan your fallen dignity and perhaps god will forgive you yet go go i'm serious there's nothing so favourable for repentance as to think of the past with feelings of remorse there was no need to repeat that she was serious the general like all drunkards was extremely emotional and easily touched by recollections of his better days 
he rose and walked quietly to the door so meekly that mrs epanchin was instantly sorry for him ardalion alexandrovitch she cried after him wait a moment we are all sinners when you feel that your conscience reproaches you a little less come over to me and we'll have a talk about the past i dare say i am fifty times more of a sinner than you are and now go 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 good-bye you had better not stay here she added in alarm as he turned as though to come back don't go after him just now kolya or he'll be vexed and the benefit of this moment will be lost said the prince as the boy was hurrying out of the room quite true much better to go in half an hour or so said mrs epanchin that's what comes of telling the truth for once in one's life said lebedeff it reduced him to tears come come the less you say about it the better to judge from all i have heard about you replied mrs epanchin the prince took the first opportunity of informing the epanchin ladies that he had intended to pay them a visit that day if they had not themselves come this afternoon and lizaveta prokofievna replied that she hoped he would still do so by this time some of the visitors had disappeared ptitsin had tactfully retreated to lebedeff's wing and gania soon followed him the latter had behaved modestly but with dignity on this occasion of his first meeting with the epanchins since the rupture twice mrs epanchin had deliberately examined him from head to foot but he had stood fire without flinching he was certainly much changed as any one could see who had not met him for some time and this fact seemed to afford aglaya a good deal of satisfaction that was gavrila ardalionovitch who just went out wasn't it she asked suddenly interrupting somebody else's conversation to make the remark yes it was said the prince i hardly knew him he is much changed and for the better i am very glad said the prince he has been very ill added varia how has he changed for the better asked mrs epanchin i don't see any change for the better what's better in him where did you get that idea from what's better there's nothing better than the poor knight said kolya who was standing near the last speaker's chair i quite agree with you there said prince s laughing so do i said adelaida solemnly what poor knight asked mrs epanchin looking round at the face of each of the speakers in turn seeing however that aglaya was blushing she added angrily what nonsense you are all talking what do you mean by poor knight it's not the first time this urchin your favourite has shown his impudence by twisting other people's words said aglaya haughtily every time that aglaya showed temper and this was very often 
there was so much childish pouting such schoolgirlishness as it were in her apparent wrath that it was impossible to avoid smiling at her to her own unutterable indignation on these occasions she would say how can they how dare they laugh at me this time every one laughed at her her sisters prince s prince muishkin though he himself had flushed for some reason and colia aglaya was dreadfully indignant and looked twice as pretty in her wrath he's always twisting round what one says she cried i am only repeating your own exclamation said colia a month ago you were turning over the pages of your don quixote and suddenly called out there is nothing better than the poor knight i don't know whom you were referring to of course whether to don quixote or yevgeny pavlovitch or someone else but you certainly said these words and afterwards there was a long conversation you are inclined to go a little too far my good boy with your guesses said mrs epanchin with some show of annoyance but it's not i alone cried colia they all talked about it and they do still why just now prince s and adelaida ivanovna declared that they upheld the poor knight so evidently there does exist a poor knight and if it were not for adelaida ivanovna we should have known long ago who the poor knight was why how am i to blame asked adelaida smiling you wouldn't draw his portrait for us that's why you are to blame aglaya ivanovna asked you to draw his portrait and gave you the whole subject of the picture she invented it herself and you wouldn't what was i to draw according to the lines she quoted from his face he never lifted that eternal mask of steel what sort of a face was i to draw i couldn't draw a mask i don't know what you are driving at what mask do you mean asked mrs epanchin irritably she began to see pretty clearly though what it meant and whom they referred to by the generally accepted title of poor knight but what specially annoyed her was that the prince was looking so uncomfortable and blushing like a ten-year-old child well have you finished your silly joke she added and am i to be told what this poor knight means or is it a solemn secret which cannot be approached lightly but they all laughed on it's simply that there is a russian poem began prince s evidently anxious to change the conversation a strange thing without beginning or end and all about a poor knight a month or so ago we were all talking and laughing and looking up a subject for one of adelaida's pictures you know it is the principal business of this family to find subjects for adelaida's pictures well we happened upon this poor knight i don't remember who thought of it first oh aglaya ivanovna did said colia very likely i don't recollect continued prince s some of us laughed at the subject some liked it 
but she declared that in order to make a picture of the gentleman she must first see his face we then began to think over all our friends faces to see if any of them would do and none suited us and so the matter stood that's all i don't know why nikolai ardalionovitch has brought up the joke now what was appropriate and funny then has quite lost all interest by this time probably there's some new silliness about it said mrs epanchin sarcastically there is no silliness about it at all only the profoundest respect said aglaya very seriously she had quite recovered her temper in fact from certain signs it was fair to conclude that she was delighted to see this joke going so far and a careful observer might have remarked that her satisfaction dated from the moment when the fact of the prince's confusion became apparent to all profoundest respect what nonsense first insane giggling and then all of a sudden a display of profoundest respect why respect tell me at once why have you suddenly developed this profound respect eh because replied aglaya gravely in the poem the knight is described as a man capable of living up to an ideal all his life that sort of thing is not to be found every day among the men of our times in the poem it is not stated exactly what the ideal was but it was evidently some vision some revelation of pure beauty and the knight wore round his neck instead of a scarf a rosary a device a n b the meaning of which is not explained was inscribed on his shield no a n d corrected collier i say a n b and so it shall be cried aglaya irritably anyway the poor knight did not care what his lady was or what she did he had chosen his ideal and he was bound to serve her and break lances for her and acknowledge her as the ideal of pure beauty whatever she might say or do afterwards if she had taken to stealing he would have championed her just the same i think the poet desired to embody in this one picture the whole spirit of medieval chivalry and the platonic love of a pure and high-souled knight of course it's all an ideal and in the poor knight that spirit reached the utmost limit of asceticism he is a don quixote only serious and not comical i used not to understand him and laughed at him but now i love the poor knight and respect his actions so ended aglaya and to look at her it was difficult indeed to judge whether she was joking or in earnest Pooh! he was a fool and his actions were the actions of a fool said mrs epanchin and as for you young woman you ought to know better at all events you are not to talk like that again what poem is it recite it i want to hear this poem i have hated poetry all my life 
prince you must excuse this nonsense we neither of us like this sort of thing be patient they certainly were put out both of them the prince tried to say something but he was too confused and could not get his words out aglaya who had taken such liberties in her little speech was the only person present perhaps who was not in the least embarrassed she seemed in fact quite pleased she now rose solemnly from her seat walked to the centre of the terrace and stood in front of the prince's chair all looked on with some surprise and prince s and her sisters with feelings of decided alarm to see what new frolic she was up to it had gone quite far enough already they thought but aglaya evidently thoroughly enjoyed the affectation and ceremony with which she was introducing her recitation of the poem mrs epanchin was just wondering whether she would not forbid the performance after all when at the very moment that aglaya commenced her declamation two new guests both talking loudly entered from the street the new arrivals were general epanchin and a young man their entrance caused some slight commotion End of part two, chapter six. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey.